you will, turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of the book of Joel as we continue our study through the Word. So you will remember that we really don't have a a date in Joel that Joel didn't reference the kings or the things that were taking place and and anything that we are able to actually give it a definitive time frame to but we know that it is prior to the uh, the Babylonian captivity prior to the Assyrians coming and taking the northern ten tribes into captivity. It's believed to be one of the uh, the oldest uh, uh, of the prophets that was uh, written. And so contemporary most believe to Elisha and Elijah. And so here we have Joel writes and and we only, the only thing that we know is he's the son of Pethuel and, and that's it. And, and so the, that one piece of, of information. Joel writes, after there has been a cataclysmic judgment that has come and, and that was this locusts that came and just absolutely devoured the land. And Joel, when he stands in the aftermath of the destruction, the, the, the Lord then begins to minister to him, showing him that, that this is now a precursor to what the day of the Lord is going to be like. And, and so this is where we first really begin to get some description and, and get, get some definition as to what the day of the Lord is all about. Now, remember that the day of the Lord is going to be the time that God is going to bring judgment upon the earth when the iniquity of man's sin has reached its fullness and now it is time for God to judge mankind. It will begin, the day of the Lord is this extended period of time. And so it begins after the rapture of the church. Aren't you glad we're out of here before the judgment of God gets poured out? And, uh, and so uh, much in the uh, same way that, uh, that we see God takes uh, his precious and protects them. And, and so we will be raptured. And, and then the beginning of the day of the Lord is going to begin with the tribulation. And you remember that the tribulation is that seven-year period. Now, the seven-year period, that's what we find in the book of Daniel. And, and that gives us our 70 weeks prophecy. And there's that final seven-week period now. That, I mean, that one final seven-year, one-week period, a week of years that is uh, left over. And we see that uh, this begins now with peace. And, uh, and there is going to be this, this contract that is going to be signed, this peace treaty. And we're going to see the nation of Israel is going to be able to restore its sacrifices. And, and everything is going to, to look well on the face of the earth. But then halfway through that, that's when the Antichrist is going to rise up and declare that he himself is God. He's going to demand that he be worshipped as God. And that establishes, that creates the abomination now, the final abomination that brings about desolation. So you hear the abomination of desolation. That, that is going to take place. And 
from that point forwards, that final three and a half years, we are going to see then <coughs> the judgments of God that are going to be poured out. The book of Revelation gives us those descriptions of the, the trumpets and the bowls and, and the judgments that are going to break forth. And, and then after that, we are going to see that there is going to be the battle of Armageddon. We see that the kings of the east are going to rebel and, and they're going to come against the uh, the Antichrist and join him, a battle against the Lord. The Lord will return and destroy. And then he's going to establish the millennial reign. Now, all of this is all contained within this period that's known as the day uh, of the Lord. So then you are going to have the judgment of the nations that is going to take place. And then you're going to enter into the millennial reign. So the thousand year reign, all of this still underneath the umbrella of the day of the Lord and, and then at the end of the thousand years Satan has been uh, he has been chained up during this thousand year period he's going to be released he's going to lead one final rebellion against the earth and so there is then going to be the quelling of that final rebellion and then there is going to be the judgment the great white throne of judgment Satan is going to be destroyed at that point and then the heavens and the earth are going to be burned up they're going to be purged because sin has contaminated this earth and sin has even come into heaven but when Satan himself led the rebellion against God with the, the angels and so all of that is now going to be purged and destroyed and then a new heaven and a new earth is going to take place so that final destruction the final purging now of the heavens and of the earth now the destruction of all that finishes the day of the lord so it begins with the tribulation and then runs all the way through to the destruction uh, and the purging and the burning up of the heavens and the earth. And then at the end of the day of the Lord is now the new creation. The new heavens are created, new earth is created, the eternal state. And then we enter into that eternal state in this glorified heaven and glorified earth. And so we see that, you know, Revelation and Zechariah and the different prophets will give us pieces of the, the day of the Lord. And, and of the tribulation. So there's so many different pieces of what is known as the day of the Lord, but it is that extended period that is going to begin in the tribulation. So these locusts that come and absolutely devour the land, we see that afterwards, you know, before the locusts come, the land is green and beautiful and lush and wonderful. And then after the locusts, absolute destruction and so uh, we see that in the same way that uh, when those judgments are poured out upon the uh, the earth and the destruction that is going to take place and so Joel begins from the present from the judgment of the locusts uh, and then he telescopes forwards into speaking about the uh, the day of the Lord and so we begin here in this second chapter and and here we have the 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 Joel is speaking about the the day of the Lord he says blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand a day of darkness and gloominess a day of 
clouds and thick darkness. So here we see that this wouldn't be the very beginning, but this would now be where judgments are coming forth and being poured forth. The beginning of the tribulation starts off with peace and, and prosperity for the first three and a half years. But it is then afterwards that, uh, that the judgment uh, of the great tribulation uh, begins. And so a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A, a people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. And, and so this tremendous battle, the gathering of people for this final conflict, the day of the Lord, which will include the, the battle of Armageddon. And, and so in the book of Revelation, it describes now this great period of judgment and tribulation that is coming. And, and so verse 3, a fire devours before them. And behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. And surely nothing shall escape them. And so here we see that uh, there are now two great battles that are to come. There is the Ezekiel 38-39 battle where, uh, where Gog and Magog are going to lead a confederation against the nation of, uh, of Israel. And, and then there will be God's intervention on that and he will deliver the nation of uh, Israel. And so that is one great conflict that we have coming in then we also uh, have the battle of Armageddon, which will happen right as the uh, Lord is going to return. And, and so it's possible that this particular invasion that Joel is speaking about uh, here is indeed the, the Ezekiel 38, 39, that underneath Russia, along with uh, Iran, is going to join together Libya and uh, other nations are going to be joined together to come against the nation of Israel. Now, it's interesting, the friendly relationships between Iran and Russia and Ethiopia and these nations now in Libya, these nations are all connected together. The, the nations that are going to be drawn together to come against the nation of Israel, these are friendly nations to one another. And, and so those alliances are in place even as we speak right now. And, and we see that Iran is bent upon its nuclear program. This is the, the big threat against the nation of Israel because Israel knows that the minute that Iran gains nuclear weapons that they're going to use them on the nation of Israel and so you know it talks about how Russia is going to have how Gog is going to have a hook put into its jaw and is going to be drawn into this conflict and so it appears that that conflict is going to be an Iran Israel conflict that Russia then is going to back Iran and get involved in and and so the nations are going to align but God is going to step in and is going to intervene in a spectacular and in a mighty way he says in verse 4 their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds so they run 
with a noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble like a strong people set in, in battle array. And so remember that Joel is seeing this vision. The Lord is giving him a vision, but he doesn't even have the words to be able to describe uh, what he is seeing. He, he is seeing here, he says, you know, that there are appearances like horses and, and they run swiftly and the noise of a flaming fire that devours uh, the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Many people here believe that this could be tank convoys that now are just set in alignment and with their flames and with their destructive capability. And Joel would be seeing these lines of tanks and, and in the same way that the locusts march forwards and rank and file, but now these aren't locusts. Uh, these are the, uh, the military might now of contemporary warfare that he is uh, trying to describe. And before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. And though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb in the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. And and so here, just the relentless advance uh, of the army. And so much in the same way that the locusts, when they would come, they, they were unstoppable. They would march and file. They would keep them rank. And then they would just go up and over anything and into everything and just absolute destroy. Well, these columns of tanks and their destructive capability that just come through and nothing can stop this, this mighty army. And, and so uh, here we see verse 10, it says, and the earth quakes before them and the heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? And so here we see that it says of the Antichrist, who can make war with him? His power is so great. The earth is going to just absolutely tremble at the military might that uh, he amasses and and yet the lord is going to destroy him with the brightness of his uh, coming and and so with a word the lord will destroy him and so the lord shall utter his voice and so here we see that this is now a reference to the battle of armageddon and, and so uh, the day of that great battle when the Lord descends onto the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives is going to split in two and the Lord is going to destroy the Antichrist and his armies. And, and so uh, the day of the Lord here, part of that will be the battle of Armageddon. He says, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your what? With all your heart with fasting and weeping and with mourning. 
And so rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. And so here we see that now Joel kind of jumps back to his, his present time. There, there is this country that has just been devoured by these uh, locusts. And, and what does he call the people to do? He calls them to repent. He calls them on behalf of God. And God says to them, turn to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And we talked last time about the, the way that when God would prosper the nation, that they would just start to drift and drift and drift. And pretty soon they start to fall in love with the blessings of God. And they start to forget about God. God, who is the, the author of every blessing in our life. And, and so here we see that they had strayed from the Lord and the blessings that God had given to them. And, and God calls to them to, to come and to seek him. He says, with all of your heart, not just that lip service, not just that exterior, not just that, that pretense, but a, a real examination of what is the master passion that is in my life? What is the master passion that is in your life? What do you care more about? What do you think the most about? What is it that you're chasing after more than anything else in your life? That master passion and, and God's desire is that he would be your master passion. That your relationship with him would be above every other pursuit of your heart and in pursuit of your life. And, and when you pursue God, God promises that, that he will add, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things are going to be added unto you. God isn't going to withhold the blessings, but when you chase the blessing instead of the blessor, you're off track. You're off track. And so God now calls the nation back. He has sent warnings, but... They won't repent, not with the fullness of their, their heart. Yes, God, we're sorry. And then, man, it's right back after it again. And he says uh, here, so rend your heart and not your garments. You know, the, the exterior sign of the, uh, of the internal. But what good is the sign if there isn't a reality behind it? What good is the expression if there isn't a truth behind it? the expression, if it's just a motion, if it's just a, a, a gesture. And so God is trying to get the attention of the nation through Joel now in the aftermath of, of the judgment of the locusts that have come upon the land. Now, you remember that one of the things that God promised was that if you will walk in my ways, I will protect you from the pestilence. And so the locusts and the pestilence, and how they've just been swarmed by the pestilence. Where was the protection of God? Well, God said that if you turn away from me, then I am not going to protect you, but I will allow 
these judgments. And so we see the practical aftermath, the instruction of, uh, of really turning to the Lord. And, and once again, God reminds them, he's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. Aren't you glad God is slow to anger? <laughs> Imagine if God had a quick temper and it's like, <laughs> smash, you know, and it's like, oh, there he goes again, just popped off again, you know. It's like, no. <laughs> slow to anger. Slow to anger. Gracious, merciful, great kindness and he relents from doing harm and who knows if he will turn and relent and listen to this not only relent and leave a blessing behind him so so the judgment that he was going to bring he will relent and instead of judgment he will leave behind a blessing now how gracious how glorious is our heavenly father blow the trumpet in zion consecrate a fast Call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from his dressing room. Now, nothing was to interrupt that, that glorious wedding celebration there, which was the, the highlight of a couple's life. But here we see it says, you know, stop, bride and bridegroom, come before the Lord. Interrupt even your honeymoon. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And so the, the devastation of the uh, locusts uh, now, and, and what does that do when God brings judgment upon his own people? Then the other nations look and say, oh, look, your God is weak. He couldn't even protect you from that. And, and so God's judgment brings reproach upon his people by the other nations. But it wasn't that God was weak. It was God was the one that was bringing uh, the judgment uh, against them. And then the people will be zealous for his land once they repent and once they are forgiven and, and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil and you will be satisfied by them and I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations as they're kind of sitting in the aftermath of the destruction that has taken place from the locusts. Here we see the heart of God as they can't imagine how, how they are going to be able to pick up the pieces and, and move forwards. But the Lord promises them and, and tells them that I will send you grain and new wine and, and oil and you will be satisfied by them. But I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back towards the western sea. And his stench will come up and his foul order will rise because he has done monstrous things. And so God promises to respond and to destroy and to drive out their enemies. And so once again, it was the fidelity of the relationship with God that he is speaking about. And if you return 
into a faithful relationship with me, I will drive out and I will protect your enemies. Fear not, O Lamb, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. And he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the threshing floor shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and, and oil. And so here we see that in Israel, they, they have in November and December is when they get their former rains. And they have these great downpours during those months and it just soaks the ground and it just soaks the land and and then afterwards everything kind of becomes green throughout the the winter everything kind of greens up the uh, the weather becomes more moderate it has been soaked with the uh, waters and then in the early spring uh, they get now the uh, the early rains and the former rains and the latter rains and and so uh, here is where they then have those times where the where the rains come in and water their crops and and so god said that he would bless them with the former rain and the latter rain those two time periods and that if they stray from him that he would withhold the rains and that that would be a a judgment upon him you remember where elijah tells ahab now that the heavens are going to be sealed up and it's not going to rain for three and a half years. They have a drought in the land and, and all that. All is a, a judgment. But here he says that he will bless his people agriculturally. He will bless them economically. And so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts, and my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. And so here we see the promise of restoration. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have taken away. And so when you go through a difficulty, when God brings you through a, a time of, of hardship and deprivation and difficulty and you, and you struggle through, when, when God brings you back out the other time, so often you see that, that he restores you now. And, and the interesting thing about restoration is that you know God is blessing you and then you go into this hardship and you, this difficulty. And, and then when restoration comes, he doesn't bring you back to the place where you were. He brings you to the place that you would have been had you never ever had that time of difficulty and, and struggle. He brings you to that in place of, uh, of restoration. And, and so... Uh, the pressing forwards, the trusting in the Lord, knowing that he's on the throne. And so oftentimes it's difficult. The, the why, God, 
I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand what's going on in, in my life and why these things would be happening and why my life has become so hard. And, and, and Lord, I'm following you the best that I know how and, and I don't understand why is it that these things are happening when, when I'm following you. Look at David and how David, this faithful shepherd boy, and, and, and there's this, all of this amazing prophecy. Samuel anoints him as the next king. He, he, he slays Goliath. He marries the king's daughter. Life is looking pretty good until the king decides to put out a warrant for David's death. He becomes the most wanted man on the face of the earth. And, and here is the next king of Israel, loving God, singing worship songs to God, is just following God and, and loving the Lord. He is, he's leading military campaigns. Saul kills his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Man, everything is going so beautiful. And then Kapow, the insecurity of the king that thinks that David is against him and it's all made up in his mind and the mental instability of, uh, of Saul now and he starts to, to distrust David and think that David is the, is the enemy and begins to chase him on. And, and here is David <coughs> sleeping out in the, uh, the wilderness and now being chased like a dog through the for years and years and years. God, what have I done wrong? Why is this happening to me? And do you remember how David has that opportunity to be able to take things into his own hand and deliver himself, but he doesn't. He just keeps on trusting the Lord. And what happens? The Lord restores him now. Not just to where he was when he was favored by the king, <laughs> but restores him now to be the king. And so, continuing to just pursue, knowing that God is working on your character, God is doing great things in your life, things that you can't see, inward things, you're looking at the outward, the outward is confusing, <laughs> but God's looking at the inward. And he knows the restoration that will happen in your life. And he will restore what was lost, what was taken away, what was destroyed, what you couldn't bear, you couldn't imagine that you could ever be happy ever again in your entire life when, when those difficulties and hardships come. But he's the God of restoration. And so you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and you will praise the name of the Lord your God. Amen. Do we not praise him when he restores and brings us out of the pit and puts our feet on the solid rock? And then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. And my people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. 
and also on my men servants and on my maid servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And, and so in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes now on the day of Pentecost. And, and so the old men dreaming dreams, the incredible promise of that new covenant and we are participants of the new covenant. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I have the Holy Spirit of God placed inside of me. He instructs me. He comforts me. He teaches me. He leads me. He guides me. He is shaping and forming and transforming me into the image and likeness of Christ. He comforts and helps. God is place this help inside of you and inside of uh, of me the the dunamis the power now of god indwelling in us and and paul would say that it, it, it is such a miracle that 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 we are now a new creation a completely new creation. Listen, there are people walking around the crowd. You walk down the strip and there are tens of thousands of people and they're all divided into two groups. People that have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them as they're walking around and people that do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And over the whole face of the earth, there are those that have the indwelling, the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy right here of what God said that he was going to do that happened on the day of Pentecost here is the new covenant when Jesus said it's better for you if I depart for if I depart and I will send the helper the the Holy Spirit and where the Lord could only be in one physical location at a time the Holy Spirit is going to be inside of everybody uh, operating all at the same time how glorious. And so I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so again, here we see that Jesus quotes this in Matthew chapter 24, speaking about the great tribulation. And it shall come to pass that Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And so the glorious promise of the power and the outpouring of God's Spirit. Chapter 3, For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot and, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. And so here we have the description of the judgment of the nations after the, uh, the Lord returns. And so we see that there is going to, uh, to be now this judgment that is going to uh, take place. And it's going to take place in the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
Whenever you're in Israel and, and if you want to go and see the valley of Jehoshaphat, nobody knows where that is. <laughs> and many scholars believe that the valley of Jehoshaphat, the reason why it, it, it isn't there and you can't see it yet, is that it is going to be created at the Lord's return when he steps onto the Mount of Olives in the east and the west, the olives split into the east and the west, that that valley there is going to become the, the valley of Jehoshaphat. And that is where the judgment of the nations is, is going to take place. And, and so uh, here we see that he says in verse 4, Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coasts of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. And also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. And, and so we see that, uh, that the people of Tyre and Sidon and, and also the Philistines, not only did they plunder God's people, but they sold God's people into slavery. And so he says, Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the people of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabians, to a, a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. And so here we see the law of sowing and, and reaping, and that is an immutable law of God. And so here we see that, uh, that God's people would eventually be freed, but we see that history shows us that, uh, that these people here would be sold into slavery when they were conquered by Alexander the Great. And so God promises that he will bless those that bless Israel. He will bring judgment. He will defend and protect those that, uh, that stand and come against Israel. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. And let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around and cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. And so here we see that, uh, that now this is the call for the people to be gathered together to the battle of, uh, of Armageddon. We see the preparation for the battle of Armageddon. We see the contrast between the millennial reign. We see here in the preparation that, that the plowshares are to be beat uh, now into swords and, and their pruning hooks into spears. We see that in the millennial reign, they're going to take their, their swords and turn them into plowshares, and they're going to take their spears and turn them into pruning hooks. And, and so the exact reversal will take place. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow. 
for their wickedness is great. And so the judgment, the wrath of God that is ready when the cup of his indignation is overflowing. Multitudes, verse 14. Multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. And the Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and earth will shake. But the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. And so in Revelation chapter 10, we see that the Lord comes and opens the scroll and, and we see now the one foot on the earth and one foot on the sea and the roaring as a lion. And so you shall know, verse 17, that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, and then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water, and the fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacias. And so now we have a description of the glorious millennial reign when the mountains now are going to drop down their new wine and, and the hills are going to flow with milk and the waters. And Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion." And so, yes, the Lord is going to dwell in Jerusalem and is going to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. I want to invite the ushers to come and to distribute the communion elements as we shift now into a time of just worshiping the Lord. Just a time of, of now presenting ourselves before him. I love communion. Communion is that time when we stop the busyness of our life. The Bible says, be still and know what? That I am God. That I am the Lord. It is that time when we just stop and we marvel. We marvel. If you've ever seen a, a, a newly engaged bride-to-be, and, and when they get their engagement ring, and how they just keep staring at it. Ladies, did you ever stare at your engagement ring and you just are like, oh my gosh, look at the rock. <laughs> and no one's around and you're just like looking at it. You're just looking at him. It's just like amazing, you know, this. And it's just that stopping and that recognizing of just the promise and 
the promise, the beautiful promise. I want you to know that communion is that time of just stopping and looking forward to that beautiful promise of each and every one of us, listen, are going to be dwelling forever together with the Lord in heaven. How glorious that, that is. The Holy Spirit, that's just, that's the engagement ring. That's the, that's the down payment. That is, that, that is just the, uh, the promise of, of what is uh, to come. Of what is to come. For life, the difference between life with the Holy Spirit versus life without the Holy Spirit, it's, it's night and day. But I want you to just stop for one minute and just imagine with me the difference between life in these earthly bodies in this fallen world with the Holy Spirit versus life in our eternal glorified bodies in the presence of the Lord forever for all eternity. And how glorious that difference uh, is. And we've already experienced that first step. But then when you are absent from the body, you are going to be present with the Lord. We are going to take this tent and just simply discard it. And we are going to step into the glory of His beautiful presence. Your sin washed away. Gone. Every failure every mistake, every willful act of disobedience and rebellion against God, forgotten, purged, washed, and cleansed, and healed. As far as the east is from the west, God promises that he will remember it no more. And you are clean. And you are clean. And you are a blood-bought saint. But Jesus paid for you with his own life, with his own blood. No greater love is a man than this. And he lays down his life for his friend. That I would die, that you could live. There's no greater expression of, of love that there is. And, and so the communion elements that you're holding tonight as you meditate upon them and think about them is the Lord declaring to you, I love you. And when you say, how much do you love me? This much. Look at those communion elements. Thomas says, we've seen We've told Thomas, we've seen him, the, the, the Lord's alive, he lives, and I will not believe until I touch the wounds in his hands and place my hand in his side. And you remember it was a week later, Thomas, come. Look. Place your hand inside of my side. And Thomas breaks. My Lord and my God. One day we will see the Lord 
in the same way that Thomas saw the Lord. In the eyes of love and how much he loves you and how happy he is to be united with you and the great price that he paid to have you with him for all eternity. And the communion elements that you're holding, they, they are that tangible, visible reminder, representation. Don't forget. It's hard down there. It's difficult. The trials, the distractions, the busyness of the world, the cares of this world. But don't forget. how much you're loved. And I'm with you every step of the way. Every step, I stick closer to you than a brother. There isn't anything that you're going through that the Lord doesn't see, that the Lord doesn't have compassion and empathy. He understands you. For we do not have a high priest that cannot understand and was not tempted in every single way in which we were. You're loved. You are loved. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Let's partake of the body of Christ. then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins but I say to you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom Let's partake of the cup. <laughs> All right. Father God, you are so good. And Lord, we just thank you for the way in which you just continue to pour out your blessings upon us, Lord. We pray that you would just help us to continue in that awareness of your love, that we would continue, Lord, to walk in the Spirit, Lord, that the enablement, the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we love you. Thank you for this amazing night to celebrate, to gather, and to remember. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.